All right, folks, back here with uh, one of my favorite podcasters ever, Libby Bacalar. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me for the, I think this is the third podcast we've done together. It is number three. You have I, a huge smile right now. You must be so happy. I am so happy. I love, I love talking to you. It's because I'm here. Clearly. Right. Yes. So we're here in the assembly building and we'll talk about real quick, you got a new job, which was uh, pretty widely covered in the media a few months. I guess, how, how long ago was that? Uh, it was about three months ago and I've been on the job. Uh, there for about two months. Um, I'm the municipal attorney for the city of Bethel, the city attorney, uh, and I'm back doing government work, which I love. And Bethel is the first place I ever lived when I moved to Alaska. So um, I'm not oh, living. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, worked for Alaska Legal Services for a summer there in 2003. New York to Bethel. Yeah, that was the first Jeez. place I set foot in the state. Was you flew to Bethel. Bethel? Yeah, I flew straight from New York to Chicago to Anchorage to Bethel. Didn't even get off an did Anchorage. Did not even get off the plane. The, well, did the, not do, even get out of the airport. Do the obligatory flat top or something. Nope, none of that. Well, I did not. I didn't. Did not know that about yeah, you. Yeah, Bethel was my first Alaska experience. It's a great community. I love it. I'm working here from Juneau, obviously. Um, my family is here, and um, I'm kind of rooted here. But uh, you know, everyone's getting used to remote working anyway now, so it's not really that unusual. I first heard about uh, this Bethel thing on, I think it was Twitter. Somebody tweeted something, and they were considering you. And um, yeah, I think KYUK did an article. I saw know, it, yeah. about um, me being considered for the job, and the council being un- unconcerned with my quote extracurriculars, which I thought was funny. Uh, and your, my your litigation tweets. with the governor, obviously. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I've been at that for about three months, like I said, two months, and it's been it's been great. I started right in the middle of the COVID stuff, so kind of hit the ground running with that, and uh, it's been a good time. They got you a nice spot here in the... I have this nice spot. I share it with my friend Heidi Dragas, former Walker commissioner. Um, who I was supposed to do a podcast with, and I haven't... We were scheduled it last few months ago, and it, I had to cancel it, but I got I to gotta do it. She, you got to catch awesome. up with her. She is awesome. She is a great office mate, super funny and fun, grew up in Fairbanks, uh, big union woman. Little, little Olive, too. Little Jane. Olive is the cutest. Very cute. Um, so, yeah, everything everything's, you know, going as well as can be expected in COVID times. I got to say, um, somebody on the council or there was in the article or somewhere it came up about this litigation you mentioned and all these, you know, your online persona. And I forget who it was, but one of them was like, yeah, we don't really care about that. She's qualified. One of the comments, and I was like, who? I like that guy. I forget who that was, but uh, was it Mark? It was probably maybe? Mark. Yeah, it was Might probably Mark. Mark. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think I think I'm a good fit for them, and vice versa. So, so they're they're, they're totally cool with you working here from, from yeah, Juno. Yeah, yeah. So far, so good. I mean, I plan to do some travel up there when I get a chance again. Um, when all of this travel restriction stuff is lifted, I plan to to go there. It's probably easier for them. I mean, it's probably not a huge pool of lawyers in Bethel who are. Looking for, you know, they probably already have a job if they're a lawyer. I suppose, yeah. I don't know everybody that's there, but um, I things just all came together for this for me, and I've been really happy so far. So I got to talk about something else, one of the best tweets ever recently. Um, something was happening, and then Kyle Johansson, former rep, <laughs> this was I mean, this was the most amazing thing ever. How he, I got into a beef with, with 
Kaijo on Twitter. Kaijo, former rep from Ketchikan who now lives yeah. in think, Hawaii. You yeah. said something, right, initially? And he... I said something. I can't remember what this beef was, but I initially said something about um, how Ann Zink was saving the state or something from all of these you know, ding-dong men that were going to make bad decisions without her or something like that. And he said something about, you know, why do you have to be a chauvinist or something it, it, it like that. It was kind of like a nasty woman type comment. Yeah, exactly. And then, and and then, then I said, didn't I save you from a recall once? Because in was, 2011, I worked on his uh, worked on the recall application that was filed by his constituents, uh, which did not meet the legal grounds for recall. I, I just love how he was like, well, technically it was lieutenant governor, but yeah, you you did a good job. Yeah, he had to concede I did a good job. That was... That's one of those things you just keep in your back pocket, and if you ever need it, you just drop it, and just totally incredible. Yeah, I saved you from a recall. It's a pretty sweet mic drop. You don't get to use that one too often, so. I, um, it I was have, all in good fun. It was all in good fun. I have some bad news I forgot to tell you that I, um, I'm going to drop it now. I'm sorry. Okay, but I'm ready for it. You, uh, since the inception of Landmine Radio, you were the number one podcast. You beat the governor, Lisa Murkowski, uh, Dan Sullivan, all these people. I mean, there was... A lot of people you were ahead of for for until recently. And I'm really sorry, but you're no longer the number one landmine radio podcast. Let me guess who it is. Do you have a guess? Could it be Dr. Ann Zink? You are correct. <laughs> well, if I had to be replaced by anyone in this world, I'm very happy to have her take the top spot. So I've done two with her. The first one was kind of who are you? This is December, so pre kind of COVID. Uh-huh. Who are you? Your background and you know parents and doctors and how she got to Alaska. It was a really good podcast. We did another one uh, in February, kind of right when the COVID thing started to kind of, it, we hadn't locked down yet. Nothing was, but we were kind of going that way. Anyways, Nat Hers did an article in Alaska Public Media about her and he listened to my podcast and used a bunch of her background for the article and then he linked to it. And then NPR ran the story and, ever, and with the link to the podcast. And ever since then, Woo, it's gotten a yeah, lot well, of downloads. National exposure, man. It's great for the landmine. It's great for Dr. Zink. I'm more than thrilled to be displaced by her. I love her. Speaking so, of I'm national. a huge fan. Huge fan. Speaking of, yeah, she's great. I think, I mean, she's been almost like a, she's like people people invite her every day at five o'clock into their living room. You know? She's my number one girl crush. She just has so much poise. Oh, you have a lady crush uh, on, oh, bra- breaking news right here. A hundred percent. Ann Zink is my number one lady crush. She's the best. She's got that poise. She has such a professional demeanor. She's comforting. She's empathic. Um, she just really has it together. And uh, You should be her, maybe her publicist. I or... think I, maybe. I would love to she, be her she, publicist. She might need a lawyer. I mean, she might get a book deal. Who? Yeah, well... You know, I'm doing other things at the moment, but I'd ha- be happy to help her pro bono with her book deal. Oh, my God. <laughs> or movie deal. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> and Zink, if you're listening, call Libby Bacalar. Yeah, I'm a, I wrote a whole blog post about her. Did you see it? Oh, no, I didn't see that one. Yeah, it's my le- most recent one. I've been kind of drifting away from the long form. Yeah, I haven't post. seen a lot of I'm, I'm working on one now about my daughter, but I've been doing shorter, you know, tweets and Facebook posts and things like that. Um, the longer blog Longer entries have just, I haven't been feeling creative on that lately, and it's been harder for me. Um, I'm just going through a dip, I think, with that. But I've, I, I've, I've gone through the same, you just, like a writer's block or something. Kind of, yeah. You're in like a lull. It's a little bit of a slump, I would say, for the long form. Um, I still, you know, come up with my little pithy tweets, and a few of my tweets have been picked up in some bigger outlets and things, and that's been kind of neat to see 
people send me screenshots. Oh, I just saw your thing posted on patriotic millionaires or whatever it is, um, which has been cool. But in the long form, it's been a while. And the last one I did was called Scylla and Charybdis. And it was about specifically about Anne Zink navigating what I think is a very difficult passageway between um, medical and scientific knowledge and politics. This arose in the whole context of the abor- the anti-abortion scuffle that happened. Kind of the, the halting abort elective. Yeah, that you know. in, only ended up lasting about 48 hours. But that scuffle, I think, was very indicative of a dynamic that exists at the state in general, um, where there's tension between expertise and politics. And you're seeing that kind of play out, I think, now with COVID. Um, and I've said this before, but I think we are in a very difficult position with this virus where we uh, we have to make a decision. Either people are going to die of COVID or people are going to die of insanity and poverty. And the way our economic system and social safety net have developed over the course of decades has made that uh, well, an inevitable choice. It's awful. And this is why I, I tell people, I mean, I have my own issues with a lot of this, and I think we all have questions and concerns, but you mentioned the politics, and, and this is what I think some people don't maybe understand, is it's really easy for, you know, Ann Zink or Dr. Fauci or any scientist or doctor to say, here's what we're doing, because they aren't elected, and they really don't, the, somebody has to make the decision, whether it's the president, the governor, the mayor, and it's it's a political decision, and that's the reality of it. No matter what, they can listen to all the people, and they can surround themselves with all the advisors, economic, medical, scientists, but you know, end of the day, these are political decisions. And yeah. they have to get, you want them to have good advisors. But like you said, I mean, there's people that aren't working. Um, they've halted, you know, um, evictions, but that's going to end at some point. And if somebody's four months behind on their rent, I'm pretty sure the landlord's not going to say, don't worry about it. I don't know. I mean, I think we're in unprecedented times as I see all too frequently everyone says oh we're in unprecedented times uncertain times da 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 Uh, we're always in unprecedented times something's always new and different that's going on this is obviously huge it's an enormous disruption for everyone and people are rightly sick of it I mean no one wants to be doing this Uh, no one wants to be wearing masks nobody wants to be cooped up in their house no one wants to have their kids out of school Um, you know, I'm sick of it and I'm comfortable. And, you know, if you have economic pressures and you need to work and you need to get out there, it's like, I get it. I mean, it sucks. And uh, I just don't think there are any really good answers. We're in a very difficult place. I do not envy our leaders right now at all. Yeah, no, it's, they're, they're in a tough spot. Do you listen to Savage Love ever? I have listened to it before, but not regularly. I listen to it almost every week. It's a Dan Dan Savage Savage. I know who he is, yeah. So now he has this thing where it's uh, they start with a quarantine story and people call anybody always, you know, it's the whole focus for the last few months has been on all this COVID quarantine stuff. And um, he this last episode said that he was talking about the Dutch. They're very progressive on drugs and, and sex work. And, you know, they've been ahead of the game on a lot of stuff. Oh, and, my God. I have a crazy story about that. But continue. OK, we're going okay, we to get back to that. But he uh, he said that the, he prefaced that with the Dutch just came out. Because everybody has basically said, you know, if you're going to, you know, if you have a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend living, it's okay to, you know, have sex with them or whatever. But you shouldn't be going out and hooking up on apps and all this stuff. But Uh the Dutch have come out and basically said, look. Get yourself a Tinder buddy. They said. I saw that. Pick. Get like. Get a buddy. Get like a. I mean, call it, you know, fuck buddy. I mean, get a buddy. Quarantine fuck buddy. 
And they, because, <laughs> but it's 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 so true because yeah. people aren't just going to stop. I mean, you can't just make everybody stop having sex. That's, no, that's, that's that's one of the more unrealistic expectations, I think. So they've come out and said, you know, get yourself a little, you know, quarantine buddy, a Tinder buddy, <laughs> and you know, make sure they're, get, you know, whatever you got to do, check it and all that. But um, the, the Dutch are very woke on matters of sex and uh, super woke. Super woke. Uh, I took my kids. I had a friend living in Europe, and this is a story. This is a story. We went to the science museum in Amsterdam, and my kids were four and seven at the time. <laughs> and they have like a full-on exhibit. Great, great place for a four and seven. Well, <laughs> this is a kids' museum. It's a children's science museum, right? No, I'm in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, in Amsterdam in general. But the children um, in Amsterdam, they, their children's museums aren't just like push a shopping cart full of plastic food and like blow bubbles. It's like there is all of that, but there's also these like labs and people in white coats and like real science happening. And this exhibit of all these little wooden figures in like a hundred different like tantric sex positions. And I'm just like, amazing. This would never fly. Could in you imagine it. like the, the religious uh, right here if that? No, I mean, but we come from puritanical roots. And so I think that's sort of embedded in the fabric of America. Uh, you know, that prudish sort of, you know, that puritanical sort of philosophy. Um but it was just really funny because I'm sitting there with my four-year-old and seven-year-old. There's an entire display about sex and abortion and there's, you know, fetuses in jars and, and, and people in sex positions. And it's just like very, the whole deal. very factual, you know, and none of it's, you know, it's all just it's not loaded with a lot of uh, um, feeling or anything. It's just like straight up. Here's the deal. Um, and I was just ta- overtaken by just surprise at that. And then I. I wrote a whole blog post about that when it happened in 2015, I think it was. And the curator for their museum wrote me a sweet note and was like, I liked your blog post about the museum. And Oh, wow. Yeah, it was kind of neat. It's cool when you write something and, you know, I don't think any of people who, any of us who write do it, you know, for for accolades or something. But um, sometimes you get somebody who reads it like that and they, they, they either email you or you know reference it or, or sometimes you write i write something that gets shared widely around yeah. recently the carpenter we'll talk about the ben carpenter oh good comment. let's talk about that, the that ben went, carpenter comment that went global that but, was amazing but i was gonna say real real quick my first trip to amsterdam i think it was 2013 i went there to i was in your traveling around russia and central mm-hmm. asia i stopped back and spent some time there and um you know i quit smoking pot like 2007 a long time ago so okay. i wasn't you know didn't enjoy the brownies or the this is before marijuana was legalized, so it was still uh-huh. kind of a not, you know, go there. But I went to the red light. I just, I wanted to go check out the red light district. Oh, yeah. And I'll tell you what, I just felt really uncomfortable. I don't know why. I just, it was like, uh, cause you know, here it's like, that's, that's taboo. It's, you know, you can't be doing, but it was just, it was just so open. I mean, there they are in the window. They're right there. Right there. And right it's, there for everyone to see. I, it was just, I, I'll never forget that feeling of like, this doesn't, this something feel, this doesn't feel right, you know? Did you go? Yeah, I've I've seen all of that. I've been to Amsterdam several times. This wasn't the first time I was there. Um, but I I love Amsterdam because first of all, it looks like New York where I grew up. Uh, so it sort of feels like home in a way, in that way. Because um, of course, the Dutch settled New minus York. The, City. Minus the canals, though. Right? Minus the canals. Uh, but you know, all the people. It's just so busy. People on bikes. It has amazing mm-hmm. museums, amazing parks. You went to the Anne Frank Museum. I did. So, I've yeah. been to all the museums there. I mean, the Van Gogh Museum. Um, spent a lot of time in the parks around there, and people watching. And it's just a really vibrant city. People are really kind of just super laid back. They in, are, in and I, I like that. You know, of course, I'm very irreverent. I'm n- nothing if not irreverent. I'm certainly not puritanical, and so I like the openness of Amsterdam. I like that everything is just out there. 
um, mm-hmm. that like here's a rubber torso that you can buy like they have like the, the torture museum I went to the, the torture museum I've been to that one yeah Stardam's a really cool city so yeah so speaking of the Anne Frank uh, we had this Ben Carpenter situation that I uh, you know I everybody listening probably is aware of it so I I get some forwarded emails last week from a few legislators and on both sides minority majority about an email from from the speaker's office about hey we're doing this session and here's some of the protocols we're doing for the coat you know screening and which by the way i've done three days in a row it's fucking not a big no deal. big deal it's like literally yeah. some, some paramedic guys some firefighters a few questions where you out of state blah blah yeah. you know do you feel feeling sick fever take your temperature i don't have it with me but i took a picture a little sticker on the uh-huh. big, oh i saw your post yeah, yeah the I mean, three stickers i got all three you so got I'm, the trifecta I'm, I'm entering for the trip to barbados the screen tri- are they really no I, I made that up but people are like saying wait really you know i've like I've been, that like, would be amazing I've been they saying, should totally do a sweepstakes i've been saying that and like somebody messaged me and was like travel you, if you go to barbados if you win you have to go here travel and, is cheap might as very, well very cheap they really could probably afford that they could pull some per diems and start a sweepstakes so carpenter responds with you know, it's, it's really too bad, and I wrote this, it's really too bad, because I think his concerns were, I, I, I think some people share the concerns. What are we doing? Can you explain, like, are we being marked? Like, what's the what's the deal? Can you, because yeah, before yeah. people went and did it, they didn't know what it was going to be. I mean, it's no big right. deal. But before that happened, there's some valid questions. But this dude takes it to level fucking 10,000. Straight from zero to 60, and, right and, to the concentration camps. And ends the thing with, can I get my sticker, because they want to give stickers to make sure you were screened, mm-hmm. as a yellow star of David. And I was just, so this was sent to me by a few people and I go, oh my God, what? Like this dude's going like Full Nazi, Nazi reference. reference. Yeah, I saw So I tweet it. And then I don't think a lot of these legislators are on Twitter and you know, they aren't, you know, Twitter's a weird place. I mean, I think people think it's like real life. It's not, you know. Tw- tw- it's its own little world unto itself. Some like 10% of tweet. they say like some like 90% of tweets are from 10% of users. That's probably accurate. You know, so it's this really insular kind of. That's a good illustration of the 80-20 principle. Mm-hmm. 80% of, you know, 20% of people use 80% of the resources, and usually it's 20% of people that are making 80% of the noise. Yeah, so. that's right. So so then, you know, Greyer Hopkins, who's Jewish, responds, you know, keep your Holocaust references, jokes to yourself, and then um, Andy Josephson weighed in, and then Sarah Vance kind of, well, you know, we're not going to be labeled, or we're, what, what's it, compliance or non-compliant? Um, so I'm tweeting all these, like, because I'm getting them from a lot of people. Right, It's right. not one person. It's a set, people in both minor, majority and minority. I'm, like, tweeting it, and it's really starting to kind of take off. It's uh-huh. People are saying, what the fuck? Uh-huh. So then I just did a quick article, and I, I just basically took the tweets and took the information, and I wrote about, you know, wrote about what, what happened. And pretty soon it was in Germany and Israel oh, and man. Italy and everywhere I mean, I've, else. I've, done, I've gotten a lot of stuff picked up by, like, you know, plenty, plenty of our stuff has been um, the Dan Sullivan video where Trump called and the peninsula got picked up by C- he did a, like a fundraiser Trump called on the cell phone and talked to the crowd and oh, and then I did the thing about you know in Bethel um, Re- Re- Rebecca Trimble oh they yeah they tried to deport that one you know yeah, that got picked yeah. up by a bunch of outlets national uh-huh. um, so you do the, great work the, the Palin stalker story oh yeah that was you know, a that great one global, that one broke the whole landmine website that broke that was the Palin that was before we got our web hosting to the good level that's you know, really the, funny but, but you, you do great stuff I mean your stuff is really impactful and I'll Thank just you. say it's um yeah no I have nothing but respect for your work I I love it I follow it and I think it does a lot of good uh, out in the world and oh, sheds sure. a lot of light on things that need to have light shed on them 
That's um, what I, I just do it for. I'm just I, I'm seeking your approval only. So uh, uh, well, you now have, that I have that. I'm, now that you have it, you can rest I easy can, tonight. I can, I can quit. Actually, <laughs> this is not a joke. Yesterday, must read Alaska followed Alaska Landman on Twitter. I can't believe it. Yeah, I had to block her. Yeah, I took the screenshot. I couldn't do it. I, I mean, I'm, I'm done, right? I, I could just, I can quit now. You can quit. Yeah, so, I don't I don't read that stuff. So Carpenter, um, I read the article, and at that point, I kind of just, okay, it's going to be a thing and whatever, and it's kind of weird, and who, who would say that? And then after I did the article, ADN does, because at that point, I mean, it's kind of out there. So ADN does an article. And who knows if they were going to do it or not. James Brooks did one. But after mine came out, they did, you know, he did it. And then Carpenter made the most bizarre comment i mean I, I think if you there was a playbook of what not to do he did that exactly oh god i know first he pitched himself a grapefruit then he squeezed the grapefruit right in his own eyeballs and he said <laughs> something like good. he said something like hitler wasn't a white supremacist he just feared the jewish nation which didn't exist I think in, he said people say hitler was a white supremacist no. no he was just something like afraid of the jewish nation and, and that led him to some unfathomable atrocities or something so if he would have said the, the 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 right response, the normal response is, you know what? I made a really dumb reference try, while trying to explain a point. I shouldn't have said that. It was a bad reference. Was, I, I responded to an email yeah. quickly. I was angry. Pr- probably goes away. Yeah. I think, you know, and what you said right at the beginning is a valid, is a good point. I think these are really important questions to be asking. I, as you know, am a constitutional uh lawyer. I am suing the governor for a constitutional violation. Um, I believe in the Constitution. I believe in liberty. You know, I, I don't, I'm undeclared. I don't categorize myself in a party. Um, and these are not bad questions to be asking. What is the government asking of us? Why are they asking this of us? How long will it last? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. What are, what is the slippery slope that we're on? Um, and then I think he wrote a, some commentary later trying to explain it further. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate. Published in Must Read Alaska. Oh, right. <laughs> it's like, um, that, that's like the third thing you should like put it in the ADN. <laughs> put it in like a neutral. Well, you know, he wants it and he wants to be under friendly fire, I guess, <laughs> um, which I understand, you know. So um, but those very good questions get lost in these uh, these analogies that just don't hold up yeah. on scrutiny. And so, it's, it's, it's funny. Someone was like. Jeff, I'm kind of surprised you would you you would focus on on this when you're so you know anti woke. And I said, listen to me, I'm probably the most critical person out there of this woke culture. Shit, culture, I hate yeah. it. Mm-hmm. But but I draw a line. Let me tell you, my parents, my dad's side of the family is all Jewish. We talked about this. Yes, yes. My, my grand grandmother was Levine. You know, my, my, my aunt married a Lieberman. I mean, Lieberman, my cousins are Lieberman. All my dad's side parents, both of their families came from Europe in the t- turn of the 20, 19th century, 20th century. No wonder you know? you're such a rabble rouser. You don't give a shit about authority. There well, they, you go. They, they left the pogroms because they were, you know, that was before Hitler was, you know, they were they were killing and, and chasing Jews in Lithuania and Ukraine and Russia. And uh, anyways, they left, right? Mm-hmm. My, my grandma actually came from England. Her family left Lithuania and she came in 1929 from uh, England to, to the United States. But you know, very Jewish on my dad's side. And I uh, wasn't really raised Jewish because my dad, when he grew up in Chicago, was was made fun of a lot and teased. And in fact, he had to go to, a, was sent to a special school when he was um, a Jewish school in, in Ohio, in Cleveland, when he was in high school, mm-hmm. like an all, all boys Jewish school. And and he, he got, you know, made fun of and, and picked on for being, and he didn't want me to be 
I mean, I kind of understand the logic a little bit, you know, but yeah. still it's like, I mean, I guess my, my most Jewish thing was I had a bris. With, 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 TMI, with I the, love it. With the rabbi, there's a picture of me and the yeah rabbi and the yarmulke and the moil and the, the That's whole deal. Awesome. But I'm, I'm glad you don't remember that. I, yeah, thank God. <laughs> you know, I actually knew a guy who got circumcised when he was an adult. I, I've heard of that too. It was described as the most horrific, horrific I think pain. It's no good. No um, good. But when my dad told me when I was a kid, I'll never forget this. One of his uh, the headmaster for the school he went to was an Auschwitz survivor with the, the fucking tattoo, the whole deal, mm-hmm. and. You know, my dad said the kids would, they were high school kids, they'd they'd always ask him about it. He never talked about it. Except one day he like told him what happened. Mm -hmm. And he said it was like the most horrific thing he ever, they had like like nightmares about it. Yeah. And like I draw a line, I mean even talking about it, it makes me, and it's like if people don't understand that history and don't, and don't think that making fun of it is a big, you know, that I, well, I think it's like you're saying, there isn't a lot of thought behind those comments. There is just a lot of, I think, buy-in to um, sort of a kind of a neo, very right-wing sort of a talking point on these issues that really should be discussed with some more nuance than they are. I mean, I think the problem both with that you've identified with overly woke culture or even or this side of it on both sides um, not to say, ooh, both sides do it or both sides this or that. My point <laughs> Good is- Good people on both sides. That's not <laughs> what I'm saying. I'm saying these are nuanced discussions that can and should be had. Um, but the language that we use to have the discussions matters too. And so choosing your words carefully and choosing your sources carefully mm-hmm. matters. Um, and, you know, analogizing a temporary public health measure to genocide it just immediately d- takes all the credibility out of your yeah. argument. And I mean, I think even Carpenter acknowledged that, that any credibility that you have to the point you're trying to make is immediately neutered when you start comparing, you know, wearing a hanky on your face for 20 minutes while you go to Costco to starving to death and then putting being put in a gas chamber. And, you know, that's not the slippery slope that this ends on. I'm sorry. So it may be a slope, but it's not a slope that leads to a gas chamber. Real. Under any circumstances. Real shallow glide. It's a real shallow glide from A to Z on that one. Um, And so hopefully he learned his lesson. And um, there are a lot of survivors and people with family members. Fewer and fewer. Fewer and fewer. Yeah, but. You've seen these uh, studies or these polls where they ask young people. I mean, it's like. Some percentage or 30 or 40 percent. They don't even know about the Holocaust. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we have a historical literacy problem in this country in general. And that's what I wanted to go into as well. You you read and I read Nixonland. And I didn't even know you were. You took a picture of the book. and I've been reading. I read Nixonland and I read Invisible Bridge. Um, so a friend six- of mine had recommended them and I, they're very good for understanding where we're at right now. So let's explain to the listeners uh, Rick Perlstein. He wrote. Uh, this is a three-part series, which and there's a fourth one coming out. I just you just told me about Reaganland. Yeah. But there was um, before the storm. Before the storm, about the 1964 Goldwater Run. Old Barry. Old Barry. Um, and then there is Nixonland about the rise of Nixon, uh, about the from 1962 to I believe. Uh, Two sixty four, sixty eight, and seventy. Those elections, I believe, and then well, seventy two because Nixonland seventy two. Seventy right, but well, then no, because then Reaganland um, 
talks about gets into more of Watergate. And, Nixon and Ra- doesn't talk about Watergate and, as much. Yeah, and Reagan was um, he was around. He was a player back then. He was governor, oh, yeah. and he, people were talking about him running back then. You know, yeah, was, he almost swiped the nomination right out from under Ford in '76. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we were saying before we started talking. Um, it was a very fractious time in American history. There was a lot of upheaval, and it made me feel better to read that because as as bad as things are now and as big as our challenges are now, I think the perspective of history is really important. Um, I mean, there were, it was not a good time back then. I, mean, I, th- I think if you look at, I mean, maybe the worst part was all the assassinations of, you know, Kennedy and... Kennedy, Robert, and, and, and Martin, you know, Luther Evers, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. I mean, all these people were getting... And then you had this, the Viet, Vietnam War was a huge... Caused a huge fracture. And not just... It was beyond party even, you know. It was it was a lot of people um, had a big problem with that. And then you had the kind of... The drug culture and the hippie culture. And that was angering the conservatives. And then there was, you know, all the racial tension. I mean, it was just a really bad, bad time. There was a huge crime wave. There was a lot of urban unrest. Um, there was all that campus unrest. Kent State. Kent State. Um, and just, you know, unrest on all college campuses around the country. I mean, they were, they were burning down campus. I mean, they were burning down buildings. And they it was were crazy occupying. Times. Yeah. Students were occupying. You know, they were taking the uh, dean or the chancellor hostage. And I mean, it was just a... And, 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 what what it produced was the the silent majority is what the got, term that got coined. Yep, and there's a lot of talk in both of those books, especially um, Nixonland, about the silent majority. Um, how all of the people who weren't you know involved in this deep counterculture moment were really just wanting everything to be calm and normal again. And I might have said this on another podcast with you, but I think. For me, the age I am, I was born right at the end of... 30? Very funny. Um, Right at the end of Vietnam, but before 9-11. So I grew up between Vietnam and 9-11. And that period in American history, I think, domestically anyway, was calm. Um, And we didn't have a ton of upheaval, really. There was the Gulf War. There was that, of course. But there was nothing sort of as dramatic as what we saw in Vietnam and then what happened on 9-11. I mean, Reagan, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Clinton. You know, it was pretty, you're right, it was NAFTA, there was, you know, there was the Gulf War, but that was kind of a quick one. Yep. Um, We were talking earlier before the podcast about, you know, I mean, you can criticize all you want Reagan's policies, but, I mean, he he got a huge, in 84, I think he won every state except... it was a total landslide. I can remember waking up, I know you were just born then, but I remember waking up and hearing my parents, who are, you know, dyed-in-the-wool lefties, just bemoan the fact that Reagan had won again. Um, Over, like, resoundingly. There there was the ad, the famous ad, uh, Morning, It's Morning Again in America. It's Morning Again in America. That's still, to this day, I mean, it's one of the best, you know, political ads ever. Yeah, he had a lot of charm. Uh, He's the gipper. He, yeah, he had charm. You know, we don't have charm now. I mean, he makes the current occupant of the White House makes uh, his predecessors look like real statesmen, I mean, I, which is saying something. I, I just, I just go back and I've watched, you know, Reagan press pressers or, or speeches. Um, he used to tell these Soviet jokes, which were really funny that people loved, and these anecdotes about, you know, there was the fun- funniest one is I tell this in Russian to people, and older Russians love it. It's uh, you know, during the Soviet Union, this is uh, it's true to buy a car. It was like a ten year wait. Uh, it was it was like legit, and you had to have the money up front. So uh-huh. Reagan said, "This is a joke that people told because he was going to Russia, Soviet Union a lot with Gorbachev, and 
you know, this uh, this guy had finally saved up money, and he went to the office, government office, where they where they sell the cars, and he waited in line. He plopped out his money, and he said, "I want to buy a car," you know, and and the the guy said, "Okay, thank you." Um, you know, come back in ten years, <laughs> and the guy said, "In the morning or in the afternoon," and. And the, and the guy at the desk said, what does it matter? I mean, it's it's in 10 years. Who cares? And the guy goes, well, because the, the plumber's coming in the morning. <laughs> That's like, good. You, you watch his like, interaction with the media and then his speeches he gave and, and his addresses. I mean, it was, it was just like in Clinton, too, you know? Yeah, they it, were it was normal. charming, dynamic, normal. normal. Even Bush, normal. Yeah. Both of them, normal. What we're seeing now, I think, doesn't have any parallel. Bush, too, was a little bit, you know, Yeah, but I mean, courts, now but. it's just... It's just it, not normal. It's not normal. It doesn't make any sense. Um, it's totally disjointed. It's totally sociopathic. I mean, to me, what's scary about the scariest thing about Trump to me is how he doesn't seem wired like a normal human being. Truly. Um, I mean, yesterday, a couple of days ago, he, he just dropped that he was taking hydro, hydrochloroquine <laughs> because I guess he likes it. I mean, and then he got into a big beef with Nancy Pelosi about obesity and mental illness and all the rest of it. But what I mean by that is he doesn't express any normal emotions. Have you noticed that? He doesn't cry. He doesn't laugh. He can't smile. He, it's almost like he has this robotic. Mm-hmm. Imi- it's almost like he's imitating a human. And it's very unsettling. It really is. Um, how he doesn't appear to have. Uh, there is something fundamentally really missing in his humanity. Um, and I think all the people we've talked about have done various degrees of damage, in my opinion, uh, to the country over the course of history. Um, but none of them lacked humanity or the qualities of empathy at least directed somewhere. You don't see any of that with Trump. You don't see any warmth. It's it's creepy. It's really yeah, creepy. I mean, there's a the whole thing of, you know, whether it's 9-11 or... You know the Oklahoma City or, or these tragedies. You know, you you the country looks to, they look to, the president to to set the tone, and the tone that to, we to, see to calm, and the tone we see is just it's nasty, it's self-serving, uh, and it's it, it it's just incredible to me how many people, you know, who would just never tolerate a person like that in their life or even politically, they just like politicians. I mean, they're either full apologists for the behavior or they, they just, uh, don't care. I think, you know, as long as their agenda gets met, they don't really care about the vehicle for the agenda necessarily. And that's the inherent problem with the situation. Um, because I mean, I'll be the first to acknowledge, I mean, Trump's policies for Alaska, in my view, have been, you know, have been good. I think we should drill an Anwar. I mean, that's obviously not as big of a <laughs> priority maybe now with price of oil and all that, but um, there's been a lot of things that have been good for Alaska under under him and the Congress, but it's like anything, we could disagree, I mean, you know, I could disagree, but anything, the point is anything he does that people might even like who don't like him and don't like his personality and his, his style, which is, I admit, is acknowledged as bad, they also don't want to it's like they want to fight him on everything you know well one thing one thing he's very good at is uh keeping the conversation centered on him um and distracting people with absolutely inane bullshit all day long 
Uh, and I'm the first to admit that I participate in that. I watch that show like everybody you else. Know. I love it. And it's and I don't not I'm not proud of it. Like I'm not proud of the fact that he holds my attention. Because I'm like, why am I giving my you, time you, and attention you, to this person? You have person? to watch it. I mean, you, you, how can you not watch it? That's right. I mean, he's very good at that. And so that's one one quality he has that is, I think, truly unprecedented. His ability to capture people's attention, to make people react to everything he says and does, um, whether it's good or bad. People love it or hate it. And it incites passion in people in one direction or the other. Um, it incites disgust and rage in me what incites disgust and rage in me and incites glee in somebody else and then it forces you to ask all these questions about society at large and the tone of the nation and this this is one of the somebody asked me recently they said why do you think so many republicans rank and file republicans you know support trump because i mean the tax cuts really i mean benefited i mean it benefited the average worker but it definitely benefited the well i mean the wealthier the big beneficiaries of that and you know, Bill Maher always says, "I, I, I know why the one percent vote Republican. I don't, I don't wonder about that. I wonder about the other ones. You know, the the people who are affected by the the policies. And I'm not saying Republican. I mean, I'm Republican, uh, moderate. But um, I think the biggest thing is to so many people, it's like we're we're beating the libtards." Oh, a lot of it is that's that. What, that's what it's about. It's not it's about, about the policy. Owning, it's about owning the libs. Owning the libs, yeah. It's owning the libs. That, it's what, baiting the libs. It's triggering the libs. And they it's love all, it. They love oh, it. Oh, yeah, they love it. You know, and there there is a sadistic streak there, I think. Um, Trump is a sadist. I think he's sadistic. He's somebody who takes pleasure in watching other people uh, in pain to some degree. I don't think he's capable of, you know, people often comment how he, you know, he'll tweet about ratings in the middle of a pandemic or he'll tweet about, you know, some petty fight he's having with, some politician, you know, when people are dying and, and even when he tries to express grief, it seems so put on. Uh, he can't even express normal grief. Um, well, I but, think the, the Charlottesville was a good example. Yeah, of. he's just a sadist, right? And so it's like there is a there's a nasty sadistic tone that he sets and that people I think there are there is a sadist in each of us somewhere buried deep. And I think he really kind of t- turns that button on for people. Um, and the tone, the tone of the discourse, the tone of the national psyche and temperament um, is really affected by it. And I do think you see the importance of what a president can do in terms of altering the tone of the nation. You know, I'll be the first to admit on 9-11, I was there. I lived through that. I was two blocks away. Um, and the next day I thought Rudy Giuliani was good. I thought he really showed up. I thought he set a good tone. I and I thought George H. Uh, George Bush, uh, the second Bush, his tone was good too. Um, well, there was all iconic him at the at the at the tower with the firefighters and the and yeah, the I speaker mean, and you know I don't I'm I have no love lost on either of those guys, but they were able to show up in a moment. Right, Trump can't show up in any moment, um, and I think people are very unmoored by that. And it causes a lot of ang- collective anxiety. Um, and for that reason, more than any other, I'm just really looking forward to the end of this time. Uh, I don't have any hope that we're going to reach the end of it in November. Um, I, think, I, was talk- I was talking about this yesterday with a legislator. And, um, but, you know, I never thought that. I thought the day he got elected eight years. Done. I- I've already accepted I- that. I-, I think you're, I mean, I think a good a solid, strong Democrat would have a real shot. Maybe Biden, maybe does, but I mean, it really depends on his on his VP. 
Um, because but Biden, I, I legitimately feel Biden has some dementia happening. I mean, I, I think so I too. I see it. I mean, I can't. I'm not going to sit here and say, I think so too. And, and you know, when it comes down to it, a lot of people either not going to vote or they're going to say, you know what, this guy, this Trump guy. At least I know what I'm getting, and I don't know this guy who's what's going to happen. And and my position is, I I feel so much just disgust at Trump that I will vote against him no matter what. I don't care who, I'm one of those, I don't shock, care shock, who, who the nominee shocking. is. I, yeah, he's so just disgusting and odious to me that I would vote you know, for a turd sandwich over him. Um, but, you know, I again, I accepted on November 9th, 2016 that we were likely stuck in eight years of this. And, well, I mean, uh, Nixon, two terms, Reagan, two terms. I mean, he well, Nixon had a term and a well, half. He, he won two elections. Yeah. Um, Reagan, you know, Clinton, I mean, yeah. Obama. I mean, we, 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 don't, we, we don't have very, I mean, who is... Well, Carter was the last... No, well, no, no, Bush, no. Bush, Bush won. won was the yeah. last one-term president. And that's because, you know, Clinton no was so... No new taxes. And Clinton was so charismatic. You know, you don't have that going on exactly. But you do have <laughs> slick, a... Slick Willie, you know, <laughs> he played the saxophone on, on uh, was it the Letterman or Leno? Yeah. Something like I, that. I was a kid and I was like... This guy's this awesome. Guy's got game. <laughs> this yeah. guy's amazing. He had game. He definitely had game and charm. He had that, certainly. Um, you know, I would uh, love the, to see the, a woman. The, the ladies would agree. I think yeah. a lot of them. You know, I, I I personally loved Elizabeth Warren. She was my favorite, and I I think she's brilliant. And I would have loved to see her. She was a little woke for me. She's a little. Yeah, I can see that. Um, but she, I mean, she really is smart, and I wish that intelligence what she, what and she, confidence. What she did to uh, Bloomberg was, I would consider one of the all-time savage takedowns yeah I mean, did you, you, you remember it was just I do. it just kept going and it kept going and it kept getting better i mean it, it worse, got a life worse, of its own it just kept going and it just it just i don't think i think she singularly just ended any hope that guy has of anything well, in three minutes and a very big difference between you know we we're talking about mid-century and now you know and there was the contempt for the media was there then too and, and that's the thing about nixon land is um you know when he when he won in 68, no one thought, I mean, media-wise, right? No one really, they didn't expect it because right. cause he had he had, he had had lost to Kennedy in 60 and uh, he was vice president for eight years, Nixon, under uh, Eisenhower. Right. So he loses to Kennedy and, and the famous, uh, the famous, <laughs> if you watched it on TV. Oh, the sweating thing. You know. The d- sweating debate where Nick, he was sweating Kennedy, bullets. Nick Kennedy won. If you listen yeah. to the radio, Nixon, you know, Nixon won. Right. That's where it, TV really took off. Carl, Carl Rove was like yeah. a big instrumental in the early TV days, too. And and then he ran in 62 for governor of California, lost Nixon. And everybody was like, this guy's done. I mean, this guy's right, politically yeah. dead. And then he kind of got, he was he saw an opportunity. He saw what was happening in the country, exploited. Very smart, very crude, very smart very person. very cunning, cunning politician. Cunning is a good. Yeah. Um, and then he was, I mean, he was undermining the talks in Vietnam with the election. Well, he was saying one thing and had he's his... The, ag- he's the original dirty trickster. He had his agents in, you know, yeah. Paris doing... Uh, that woman, what's her name? Chenault was her name. I remember I called I called Mike Chenault and asked him if there was any relation. She was one of his agents that was over in, in uh, Paris undermining the talks. Ah, uh, yes, and I'm remembering. This and um, but he, uh, there was this whole thing with the media, where when '68 when he won, there, there was and this was, you know, in the book about they kind of said, "Fuck, what do we, like, what do we miss? What do we do? We have to start changing all of how we look at this stuff." Because yeah. they were, they were it's kind of like in with Trump. You know, a lot of people, the polls actually got it right. I mean, tr- Trump did lose the popular. I mean, the national polls were right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, yeah. they were accurate, but it was the electoral in the states. Yeah. But I think um, most of the media just did not. They missed everything. 
they missed it. Yeah, and they missed it with Watergate, too. And, you know, just like with television, you know, now we have social media and you have a new medium that comes into play and it, it's art imitating life. It's media imitating life and life imitating the media. And there's an interplay between the two um, that the, the closest analog is the advent of television and now it's the advent of social media. And like we were just saying, these little scandals that keep happening at breakneck speed are scandals because they're so accessible on Twitter and Facebook instantly. But they also go away instantly. Well, yeah, I was going to so say... what have what, a very short memory. So I was going to say is what, you know, Watergate today, oh. I don't think would even... It'd be like a, it'd be a blip. A hundred percent. It'd be like, yeah, you And know. it fixated the nation. You know, it absolutely fixated the nation. And I think there's between... What's going on with social media and the amount of misconduct that Trump is up to? Nobody can keep up with any of it. And people say, you know, oh, this was 15 scandals ago. And it's because scandals are instantly um, elevated on Twitter and Facebook. And also because he is up to God knows what. Although it's hard to say if all these predecessors weren't up to God knows what, too. It's hard to say because there I think, wasn't I think the I same. I was just going to say, I think there was so much. If, if the social media as today existed 20, 30, 40, 50. I mean, Kennedy. And, yeah. and the women. I mean, oh yeah. You know, come on. It'd be it'd be every it'd be nuts. Yeah, he was a player. I, mean, I met Jackie Onassis once. It was that was my biggest. No, celeb. you didn't. I did. She was a friend of my dad's. They worked together at a publishing company in New York. That's what she did. How old were you? Eight. Picture. And I wish I had one. No, um, but she guessed my age. I remember this very vividly, vividly. My dad walked me down to her office and said, "Jackie, oh, Jackie, wow. oh," and um, she said, "Are you eight? And I just beamed and I, she guessed my age and she's so charming and beautiful, you know, even um, at that age. And she, I didn't really understand what a big deal she was. I mean, I knew she had been the former first lady, but I was eight years old, so I didn't really get what kind of a big deal she was. I'm going to guess you were probably a pretty, pretty advanced eight-year-old. I was precocious. Yeah. Yeah. Good word. <laughs> I was precocious. I got kicked out of class a lot for talking. Um, me too. I, yep, me too. I was very disruptive. I had a, I talked about this in my Tundra talk, which you did one too, but there was- this I did a remote one, I think. Right? Oh, okay. You, you, cool. did, you, you were there, right? I was there. Yeah. It was one of the last times I traveled. Um, but there was this couch that looks like the one we're sitting on now, but it was green and pleather, fake leather couch outside my principal's office in elementary school. And that's where you would be sent to sit when you got thrown out of class. And I logged more hours on that couch, man. I tell you what, I, I, just, I, I to, parked my ass on that green couch all the time. I was getting kicked out of every class. I used to get in trouble because I'd, um, I you know, I just was bored. I, I didn't feel yeah. challenged, especially in high, middle school. And I'd, I feel like with history, my dad always stressed about you know reading and yeah. education. I just was always felt like I was ahead of. And finally, I got put in you know high school. I went to AP classes, and I got put in some like advanced. And then I was fine because I was like challenged. But I used to get in so much trouble in middle school. I mean, I'd talk, I'd disrupt. I and they, and they used to get. I remember I had a meeting one time with principal, my teacher, my my dad, and, and you know they were saying he's a real problem. And he said, "Well, is it his grades?" And I said, "Well, his grades are you know they're pretty good, but he just keeps talking." And you know, and it was this whole. And it was. Well, I, I always feel like uh, there's a kindred spirit between you and me with that kind of thing. They tried to, you know what they tried to do? I'll never forget this. We had a meeting with the principal and my dad, and uh, they said, you know, he's he's just, he's out of control. We can't control him. He talks, and he interrupts, and he wants to go outside, and, you know, and this and that, and they wanted to put me on Ritalin. And I remember I was at the 
meaning and like i i knew what that was it was like it's middle like an school. adhd drug right, right? And i mean yeah. I, people, people, people joked ritalin so i knew it was something and i'll never forget this my dad said so you're telling me he talks a lot he asks a lot of questions he wants to go outside and play that's what you're telling me right and you want to drug him yeah, out and you, you, you want to put him on drugs and he goes yeah you're gonna do your fucking job you're not gonna put my kid on any drugs <laughs> and, and, and i just wonder how many parents said okay sure and put him on those on those drugs which what do they do to a, a child's head mind brain I don't know. I hope never to have to confront that you know? question. Yeah, I feel lucky that my when I show up to my parent teacher conferences, they're way better than mine were. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> I'll take one more, more compliant. One more Jeff Landfield dad story. When I was in middle school, I used to get bullied a lot, and I just wasn't really kind of. When I was in high school, I started playing football, and I kind of became like one of the. You came into know, your I, own. I had the group of the kid, you know, and I was it was mm-hmm. it was fine, but I was class clown, so everybody likes a kind of goofy guy, big guy. It's funny. But when I was in middle school, uh, this kid kept bullying me. There's a group of them. But this one kid, Zach, was like the main, he was the leader. Instigator. Oh, yeah. The and Draco he just, Malfoy. He, yep. He would just make fun of me and tease me. And, and it was just like fucking nonstop. And I hated it. And one day I told my dad about it, right? And um, he goes, listen to me. Here's what you're, I'm in like seventh grade. He goes, here's what you're going to do. The next time he does it, it all talks to you, bullies you, makes fun of you, whatever, whatever he does, you tell him, listen to me, you're going to stop doing this. And this is your last warning. And I said, what if he keeps doing it? And he goes, you punch him in the face as hard as you can. Oh, my God. So the next day, inevitably, I'm walking down. This kid starts, I don't even know what he said to me. And I said, look, Zach, this is your last warning. Stop bullying me. Stop making fun of me or you're going to be sorry. And he goes, what are you going to do about it? And I punched in this hallway in school. I punch him in the face, right? And I don't even know. It probably wasn't even that hard, right? But we start fighting. We're in the hall. The kids circle around us. Classic, you know, middle school fight uh-huh. last for what felt like forever. Probably it was thirty seconds, forty five right. seconds. Right. Teachers come, two of them grab us, pull us apart. We go to the principal's office, sit us down. We're sitting next to each. It was so weird. We're sitting on that kind of couch you're talking about. Uh-huh. They sitting us next to each other, uh-huh. and it's like you just got in a fight, and they put us next to each other. They call our parents, and um, they we both get suspended for three days. Oh we told them what happened. They called our parents in, and two things happened after that. He shook my hand. They made us shake hands, and he apologized. Okay. And he, he never fucking never again. talked to me again. Yeah, good. Well, it worked. And that's a lesson I take to my life: is like you don't get, you don't let yourself get bullied. I'm, I'm not like, saying you should go punch somebody, but no, somebody, no. you, you got to stand up for yourself. I'm a hundred percent with you on you that. You have to stand up for yourself. I am a big fan of standing up for yourself, and I've had to do it n- a number of times. And, and nowadays, if you if you do that, I think. I don't even know. He would get expelled, maybe for well for physical stuff. I've never gotten into a physical altercation, but I've had to really yell. You look, at, you look scrappy. I'm. I'm. Well, I wouldn't want to. My mom's gotten into scrappy physical fights. I've. Ne- I growing up in the South Bronx, I've never gotten into a physical fight, but I've definitely stood up for myself and yelled back at people who have then consequently shrunk back because bullies hate they hate it they don't like it and they're not used to it and nope. so I've I've had to do that. I did that in college on a shift at a food service job I had and then I've done it in my professional life a number of times and um, people are very taken aback you know and they respect you for it in the end and it's really important to assert yourself and stand I, I think up for it's yourself. important to stand up for yourself and I also I also think it's important to stand up for others when, you, when you see it and I think a lot of people don't do it I there are a lot of cowards and bystanders out there you're either it's lead follower get out of the way there's bystanders there's victims and there are people who stick up for the victims. Those are the three categories of people in this world. Um, and I always hope to be someone that stands up for people. I, I, mean, I try I, to do that. I, I forget where where I heard this, but you know they 
Right a bit in that movie Spotlight about the abuse of the Catholic priest. But they say, you know, they, they say it takes a village to raise, raise a kid, you know. And they say it also takes a village to, to abuse them. Yeah, it does. And, it and, takes acquiescence. And I mean, I think we see that now. There's a lot of uh, fear. There's a lot of complicity um, going on. Uh, and that's human nature. You know, my mom helped me really. She's a psychiatrist. She's I, I met her smart. once. Remember she was yeah, that was here so in Juneau. We had, we had the drinks. Yes, that was so fun. She, she was... Um, Man, I mean, stereotypical New Yorker, like, and every embodies all of it. I remember you were like, did she come out of a Woody Allen movie? <laughs> yeah, she's right out of central casting. But she always said, you know, this is human nature. You can't be upset with people for being who they are. You're how you are. You're different. You're cut from kind of a different cloth. And it's going to be, there's going to be good things that happen to you as a result of that and bad things that happen to you as a result of that. Bit, bit of an Ashkenazi cloth. I think, Yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's a rebellious streak. It's an anti-authoritarian streak. It's a, I'm going to say what I think streak, and and you, I think you have it too. I mean, I like I said, I see a kinship with you in that, um, you know. And I don't let perfection be the enemy of the good for my advocacy. I just say what I think, and I leave it there to sit. You'll notice I don't engage much uh, with people on the internet. I think some of the funniest tweets are some of the messages you post that people send you and oh I mean, god it's just some of them they're horrible but all you can do is laugh all you can do is laugh i mean you get it too you know and so oh yeah uh that's the price you pay for pushing back it just is well i i'll uh, never forget barry weiss was on bill maher You're, you know she's great she's great columnist and uh progressive but but yet the woke people hate her yes because because I... she takes you know stands that they don't like in her in her writing but she said something pretty incredible she said um because Bill was saying how great she is and her writing and this and her, her, her you know, opinions and her positions. And, and she said, you know, I'm not um, a genius here. I'm not special. I'm not smart. I'm just willing to share my opinions publicly. Yeah. yeah. I'm willing to say what I think and write it down. And, and, and she's actually right. I mean, people are real. A lot of people are real nervous to do that. Uh, yes. I mean, because there are real life consequences to it. Um, I've experienced them. You've experienced them. It it comes with a price. There is a big price you pay for that. Um, it's worth it to me. It's worth it. Oh, absolutely, it. yeah. It is 100% worth it to me because I feel like I can sleep at night. I know I'm being true to myself. Um, I know that I have a fidelity to my ideals. Uh, and whatever it may bring, I'm good with it. I got to say, um, we're coming up in an hour, which is which is great. But... Uh... Last thing I tell people, we do that. We've done a few podcasts, and people know that I know you. And uh, actually, today I was talking to a, a female um, Republican, well known, and I mentioned I got to go. I'm going to do a podcast with Libby Bacalar, and she goes, "Oh, don't don't tell anybody." But God, I love her. <laughs> I just, she's a bad bitch, and I love it. I mean, this is like a well known Republican. That's woman. awesome. Well, but, I, that makes me that makes me happy because I really am not trying to be an ideologue. I'm I'm really not. Um, I'm trying to call things the way I see them. And if, you know, if there are people on uh, every side of the aisle that are finding um, something to enjoy in what I'm putting out there, then it's, God it's, bless them. It's like you and like can't 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 look away from Trump. These probably a lot of these Republican women, they, they secretly have some affinity or obsession. They, you know, maybe maybe I'm saying something that they relate to that they're afraid to say. Uh, I don't know, but, but what, I appreciate it what regardless. I was, what I was going to say was people always ask me about you and what I tell them, and this is no surprise to you, you're like so different in person than what I would imagine you would be like 
by reading your tweets or your Facebook. I'm a Facebook. little less strident, maybe more thoughtful in person. Just, you're actually pretty reserved, I'd say. I mean, not, you're, you're not, I mean, you're compared to your online persona, you're, you're reserved. Yeah. And, and I have kind of the same thing. I mean, I'm definitely way out there on, you know, if you didn't know me and you might think I'd go into the Capitol and be screaming and, you know, acting crazy. And, you know, I, I'm, I take that very, I respect that place and I, I don't act, but it's easy on, I mean, the point is it's easy online to kind of, and maybe that's good, maybe that's bad, but. I think but, it's both. I yeah. think it's both. You know, I think your, your persona online and also just in writing is invariably, invariably going to be different from your uh, one-on-one persona, um, you know, how you present yourself in person. I mean, I just think they're two different things. I mean, I take pride in the fact that anything I say online, I own. I'm happy to say it to somebody's face. You know, when people, you know, come at me online, they don't have, they're not using their real name sometimes. They have an avatar. I'm like, at least own what you're going to say. Uh, what, what I've taken to on Twitter, and I've gotten so much of this stuff, we're talking, you know, this, these messages or these horrible, you know, whatever it is, just pick it, you know, my weight or how I look and whatever it is. Right. And, and half of them are just these fake, you know, anonymous accounts. So I've just, a few months ago, I started doing this. I just always say, cool story dot 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 whoever you are yeah and they fucking hate it because i want to acknowledge them i want to engage them i yeah. just say cool story whoever you are yeah because they're just it's so easy to it's sit behind so easy to anonymity. do that. it is and i'm not a big believer in anonymity and i i own everything i've ever said or written and i get why it's there it's there for candor in some situations I, I, it's abused I, I anonymity bet, is abused i bet you so many of them who are the most aggressive kind of people hiding behind the fake i bet you they're so um not, Sure, shy is the word, but they're probably just so is it docile, docile maybe, or just 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 so weak in real life. I mean, they probably wouldn't know what to do with somebody. Yeah, they, no, they, I think it, they you saw know, that they they were hating on the internet. Hiding behind a computer gives people some sort of license to behave in ways that they never would in real life. Um, at least the way, at least the things I say are consistent, if not the tone. So, um, anyway, well, I'll be back, Lar, counselor. It's been a great podcast. This is our third one. Our third one. I think we're the gonna, hat trick. I think we're gonna get. I think we're gonna do some more. Good. I love it. I love talking to you. I always have a good time. Are you coming to Anchorage once the COVID stuff? Once you... the COVID stuff calms down, yes, I will be in Anchorage and Bethel, and hopefully back to traveling again. Maybe you will uh, retake and Zinc for the number one pod with this podcast. I doubt it. I highly doubt your, it. Your your first one got it's still number two, and I think it's because you shared it, and you have a lot of people followers and yeah so i think that's probably but, but npr is next level dude that's next level i don't expect to yeah, I still, it's, it's still when i go back and it's still getting like more i gotta, I gotta give nat a big shout out for link, linking the podcast but. yeah well and and zinc deserves all the exposure she can get she is just fabulous i'm telling you when she gets that book deal she needs to call i cannot say enough good things gotta, about her gotta call I'm my girl libby bacalar so impressed with her read my read the last blog post i wrote it was I'll all go, about yeah, her i'll go check okay yeah, yeah. I, I think the other one you did um, a couple of years ago, that got one like crazy viral. Didn't the Frederick Douglass one? Oh yeah. What was it? Oh, where um, where Trump said Frederick Douglass uh, was doing very well and something in, implying he was still alive. I did a fake Twitter account for, you know, Frederick. Oh, you did Frederick up. Douglass tweets, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Didn't Some, they get like you said like a million? They got hits? like three million views or you, something. You, you need to really be on the Google ads. Yeah, I don't that, like you, ads, but yes, people tell me that all the make time. A little money off that. Yeah, well, it's just a hobby. It's still just a hobby. All right. So. Well, let me back our counselor, uh, Bethel attorney. Thank you for being on the podcast again. Always love discussion discussions with you. I could, yeah. I could, I could talk for another two hours with you. Me too. Likewise. We, we got to do the, the Libby, 
Libby Landfield, remember? The Libby, Libby Landfield. That, that's the show. Regular feature. Okay, Libby, well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, folks, uh, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one. Land.